general nerdery. You know, I was going to try really hard to come in with, like, an exciting intro again after I've been having fun, and I had nothing. I've been thinking all day. I I understand, man. Plus, right now, it'd be hard to do something that wasn't somehow related to, like, Jared Leto. Oh, that too. That's not what I was thinking of. Anyways, welcome to General Nerdery, where you're generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And uh, we actually lied to you guys a little bit last week. We said that we were going to do this week as a catch-up on TV. We've been watching episodes and talk about Mando and Crisis. Crisis doesn't end till tomorrow night. We had our dates wrong. (laughs) I was really disappointed last Tuesday. When I went to watch, and I was like, hey, wait, what? (laughs) Oh. So, uh, instead, we are going to talk about Doctor Who, and most specifically, uh, Season 10, Episode 1, The Pilot. Uh, The first episode of the final, Peter Capaldi. That's right. And it's not to be confused with The Pilot for the entire series, because that happened quite a while ago. That's also called The Impossible Child or something like mm-hmm. that. It's, we should do that, The Doctor Teaches Caveman Fire. Wait, not to be confused with The Impossible Girl. God, Doctor Who. <laughs> Anyways, before we get there, let's talk some news. Let's talk some news. Well, I think uh, some of the biggest news of the week, and especially because we just watched it, and some of it seems to have some rather big implications. Like 30 seconds ago. Uh, yeah, the Morbius trailer debuted this morning. We held off on watching it until just a couple minutes ago. Yeah, I was at work, so I got you to wait so we could watch it together, and then we immediately had to be like, no, we're not allowed to talk about this. We have to turn on the ca- uh, uh, the microphones, man. Go! Yeah, so Morbius. Jared Leto. Ah, uh, you know, I am so just confused by this movie. <laughs> like, why does it exist in like, the first yes. place? Like, of all of the Spider-Man people to pick... How is this not just a Blade spinoff? Morbius the Living Vampire. He is... I mean, I guess I kind of get it. People love vamp- People have loved vampires for centuries. That's not going away. But Morbius is not the strongest Spider-Man concept they have out there. No, I love Morbius, but it's more just because that was the character in the cartoon series that introduced me to Blade. Yeah. Uh, I just... And I love the the history of, like, that was the get-around to the comics code, was making him the living vampire. What I do kind of love about this is every time I think comics have reached the level of, like, I never thought I'd see the day. They give me another I never thought I'd see the day. Like, Iron Man, we never thought it was going to be, su- like, never thought it was going to be as successful as it was. Uh, seeing all of them team up in the Avengers, I never thought I'd see the day. Seeing weird out there characters like Guardians of the Galaxy, I never thought I'd see the day. And now, like, Morbius, it's kind of almost an exhausted, like, shit, man, I just need to accept that, like, this has become way more mainstream than my childhood self ever thought was possible. Honestly, do you know what my biggest I never thought I'd see the day was? And it's weird because the movie didn't end up being that great. The Venom movie? No, uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah. Simply, yeah, I'll give it that. Simply a big name studio taking a risk on a comic property and putting out a big name with the name Suicide Squad. Yeah. Also thinking of Jared Leto. Yeah. Is it Leto or Leto? Leto I don't know. Leto, okay. Leto. We're it's... sorry, Jared. We're sure you're listening to this. So uh, write us and tell us how to pronounce your name. Worst Joker. That's how you say his last name, right? 
<laughs> I kind of feel bad for him for that. Like they they wanted so hard to be edgy, and I'm not saying it was good. I'm just also not necessarily saying it was his. I'm not sure how much of it was his fault. I feel like in conversations I've had with people that I liked his Joker more than most people did, but still somebody has to be the worst by default. Well, yeah. Who's your favorite Joker? Hamill. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Hamill's who I hear when I read the comics. Yeah. Hamill, who... Oh, um, the guy who played Bender in Futurama. Oh, DiMaggio. Um, Yeah. That's a good Joker. He did a really good Joker in Under the Red Hood. I like his Those Joker. are probably my two big ones. Um, I like the old Cesar Romero Joker from like the Batman 66 where he paints over his mustache. But... I'm a big fan of the Cesar Romero Joker. Um, I mean, otherwise, Heath Ledger's performance alone makes him one of the... Oh man, was Jack Nicholson the worst Joker before this? I mean, I feel bad saying that because he's a really, really good Joker. His got dated more than a lot of others. Like... That that busting in and playing Prince while like spray painting that that entire scene is the most eighties thing outside of like the Flash Gordon movie. That's that's very true. I'm not saying it's Ooh. bad, but it's it, it it is a product of its era probably more than any of the other Jokers. I'm also going to recommend not watching the Bat Dance video while on mushrooms, but. That's a that whole different story. Utterly horrifying, and I'm fascinated. And tell me about it after the podcast. <laughs> we have gotten very far afield. So Morbius, it looks fine. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, I don't have a whole lot of faith. I am one of the people that did not really care for the Venom movie. I haven't watched it yet. I've heard it's more fun than it deserves to be, but isn't a good movie. I had fun watching it, which I did not expect. But that movie. Is horseshit. <laughs> and a lot of people strongly disagree with me on this one. Uh, but it, it felt like a superhero movie that was pre-Iron Man. Like, just trying to make it work as the, like, one... Because they, they kind of treat it like Venom's the only hero we've really gotten so far. Oh, like okay. Because they didn't have that wider universe to build in. And um, just a, a strange standalone... Uh, and I swear to God, they cut out... Well, like, standalone for how much longer? Yeah. Well, now, not that much longer, because Morbius is coming out. But I swear they cut out, like, 45 minutes. Because there's a plot line that they find out that the Venom symbiote is eating him. Big surprise. It's the mm-hmm. Venom symbiote. And he's like, what? You're, you're, you're eating me? And then, like, arguing with himself, because Tom... Hardy. Hardy, thank you, is blanking the name. You know, he's only one... Bronson of, himself. Yeah. He was also playing the Venom voice, so they're just arguing back and forth at each other, and it's mostly him going insane. And then they just drop that plot point. They, like, clearly he just has to eat other stuff and eat a lot to keep the Venom symbiote from, you know, devouring him. But they never bother to say that in the movie, and I have Uh... not been able to really forgive it from there. Also, Woody Harrelson in a Little Orphan Annie wig to play Cletus Cassidy Carnage was such a strange sight. Which, that sounds like it's coming back. Like, Venom 2, we're going to be getting... They're going to... They had to. But they already did a symbiote versus symbiote battle in this one. So I'm kind of curious. I don't even remember which one it was. It was like, not Shriek, not Toxic. Ah, no. Insert angry 90s bad sounding thing here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Edgy name attached to a symbiote body. Got it. 
There was a few of those running around. Oh, God, yeah. Because <laughs> Venom was crazy popular. Venom is still crazy popular. Venom he is... has way more staying power than I ever would have expected. And I think are... the box office that movie took in proved that, too. We are once again not talking about Morbius. But... Um... I think because ultimately it's only an okay trailer. It's only an okay trailer, and it's really early, so it's hard to say anything about it. Like, Okay, so three big takeaways from it. Okay. Uh, Matt Smith. Matt Smith has not made a good acting decision. Well, no, he was in The Crown. That's supposed to be amazing. But other than that, he's not made a good acting decision since the end of Doctor Who. And now he's apparently playing Hunger. Which I... (laughs) I know nothing about Hunger. I made loud responses when you said that just because Hunger is obscure of the obscure. He was a vampire that they used very briefly around the Blade movies. Okay. Like, when they came out Mm -hmm. and they were suddenly inserting vampires again. And Spider-Man faced him a couple of times. I I think Morbius might have gotten his own short-lived miniseries around that time. Where maybe he came up more? He has started to anti-hero more and more, right? Kind of. He always started as, like, the tragic villain that's gone more anti-hero. He was never quite a villain. Except more Uh, about himself, not his wife. Uh, yeah, a, a little bit that, a little bit closer to the good side than, mm-hmm. like, Mr. Freeze was. Mr. Freeze, you're like, that's really sad, but you're a dick. Right. This he, one, he you're was like, always a little bit more like, oh, Michael, I became a doctor like, in the first place because I like helping people. Yeah. I But, yeah, I think Hunger was just a insert villain here because we don't want to use Dracula again, <laughs> uh, which they later obviously went back on. Marvel loves using Dracula. And I, there's nothing special about Hunger as a vampire other than the fact that his name is Hunger, which is the most 90s name to pick a vampire. It's the the venom of vampire names. So, <laughs> uh, second big thing, Spider-Man as graffiti in the background with murderer across it. I'm guessing uh, as a response to the end of Far From Home. Yeah, that would make sense. There, there were a couple of tie-ins to the uh, Spider-Man parts of the MCU. MCU, And we always knew this was a possibility. It was one of the original parts of the deal that they could both use Spider-Man in their other movies. Because the other big connection was the third big takeaway was... Oh, I had a different third big takeaway, but oh, let's do yours first. Vulture. Yeah, uh, which took me a moment. I was like, wait, you? What are you doing? Oh, yeah. Like... Batman 89? Who called you? Do oh. You, <laughs> do you think they're setting up for a Sinister Six movie? That that has been rumored ever since Amazing Spider-Man 2, where they were like actively working on it. So That was the thing. So uh, They were actively working on it. Drew Goddard was supposed to do it. Drew Goddard is a really good director. He does good stuff. He left to do Daredevil, if I remember. Uh, he did the first episode of or the first four episodes something like that of the first season of daredevil before turning it over to travis knight if i remember right i'll trust you on that one i just remember he was working and i think it was one of those like i don't think it's ever getting made i'm gonna go actually like get stuff that's getting made here's the actual tragedy of drew goddard is that he was on and working on sinister six and was supposed to be helming that and directing, and he was probably going to be a really good choice for it. He was really into the idea, I remember. Um, that obviously ended up 
being shelved maybe now coming back around because but... amazing spider-man 2 was real bad i'll defend the first amazing spider-man but amazing spider-man 2 was real really bad. bad but the big project he attached to after he left sinister six was x-force this guy cannot catch a <laughs> fucking break marvel still make x-force deadpool made you crazy money you don't really have to have too much of a connection yet and it would give you something to do with those great New Mutants actors we were talking about yep. last week. Uh, yeah, I agree. They should probably still go forward with X-Force. And let Drew Goddard do and it. Apparently he's great. He's had a real rough run by the sound of it when it comes to superhero stuff. Yeah, so he hasn't been able to land his big superhero property yet, basically. Uh, I will say, if their Sinister Six that they're setting up is so far Vulture and Morbius the Living Vampire, they, we are not talking the A-list Sinister Six. No. So, who's old man in this trailer? Because I've already seen the internet guessing that it might be Doc Ock. Um, wait, which old man are we talking the about here? old man doctor that's a friend to Oh, Morbius. the one that was played by the guy who played Moriarty. So I yeah. just kept thinking, don't listen to him. He's the evil crime doctor. Um, well, perfect. he might be an evil crime doctor. Yeah. You know, I could see that guy play Doc Ock. Uh, it, it's about time we get Doc Ock again. I may not like him as Superior Spider-Man, but I think Doc is probably Spidey's best villain. I'll pick him over Green Goblin, usually. I would, too. I would, too. I like Doc Ock a lot. The and arms, I, for some reason, have always sold They're me. just visually so cool. And I would like to see that guy play Doc Ock. He seemed like a good actor. Uh, in what little I've seen him in. But it's going to be so hard to beat the Alfred Molina Doc Ock. Yeah, that's... Like, they tried so hard to make him sympathetic, bar. which was weird, but he played a really good well, Dr. Octopus. I mean, that's still almost... Like, that That one's up there. The top Spider-Man movies are a much tighter grouping than they used to be. That is... Probably the best Marvel movie that's not MCU related, with the exception of Spider Verse, which mm -hmm. I will never shut up about. Not uh, sorry. It's amazing. Oh, number two needs to get here and not suck. Yeah. Uh, oh, but my final thing was, or for Morbius is, what the hell was that cave bats thing? I'm. This is just the new version. I think of uh, a bunch of cats licking Catwoman to life. Yeah, the worst part of that really terrible movie. Well, no, wait. Actually, I don't like Batman Returns either, so either time that cats have brought Selina Kyle back to life. I, that's that's the only thing I was able to read it as. I'm like, this is not good. Haven't they already I, done something licking somebody back to life? It looked really mystical, which was strange because everything else was not at all mystical. Everything else was science. So, like... Well, it's definitely going to get techno-babbled with them flying through that water gateway thing. Because yeah. that looked... That wasn't a natural water gateway. That was somehow set up. But it doesn't necessarily look like it was set up by them. Who knows? Which is even weirder. Uh, point is, this trailer was real confusing. We have thoughts. But there's oh. not enough here to really say much yet. What's your thought on that final Morbius look? Uh, I think that's about as well translated as you could get Morbius onto the, onto the big screen. It, it's hard to do no nose or like a very yeah. compressed nose just because 
you have to basically CGI that, and it doesn't always look right because it turns out people have noses. Uh, the only time I've seen it in a way that I thought looked effective was Red Skull in in uh, Captain America: The First Avenger, and that was just because it was pretty good prosthetic work. It was also a much more campy movie, so you could get away with a slightly more campy look. But like Voldemort looked goofy with no nose. Yeah. The Pale Man looks pretty goofy in Pan's Labyrinth with no nose. Have you ever read there was a period of time where the Iron Man armor had to have a nose on it? Yes. Because Stanley once was like, where's his nose? Like, I always wondered where that would fit. And then forgot about this conversation. And the editor that was running Iron Man at the time was like, oh, Stan wants a nose. There, there has to be a nose. It's a requirement. And so they made them, like, drawing this stupid little triangle on the Iron Man face for, like, a year and a half until Stan was like, why do we keep doing that? That looks goofy. And they're like, Stan! He's like, what? Uh, Noseless Wolfie? Uh, You see, that kind of worked in, like, the bad 90s Joe Magic. No, it it was terrible. It was terrible. I'm trying to defend it because... That style made me happy when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but it's not good at all. I don't remember. I don't think that was Maguire yet. I think that might have been one of the Cuberts in the mm. '90s, and neither of the Cuberts did great things for themselves in the '90s when they were on X Men. Let's see. This past week was this past week also the Birds of Prey trailer. Or did we talk about that the last week? Uh, nope, that was this last week because I sent it to you, but we haven't talked about it. That's right. Okay, so New Birds of Prey trailer. We saw Ewan McGregor put on the Black Mask mask, which is great. I love seeing Black Mask used more. He's a good gangland villain. I'm so glad they finally had him put on the Black Mask so I can stop hearing randos just randomly ask, who the fuck is he playing? Because they don't recognize the name Sionis. That's okay. They're still not going to know who the fuck Black Mask is. He's not exactly a... They're going to have a better guess. Better chance. Yeah, some of them played Arkham. Uh, And that's okay. I only know Black Mask because I read way too many comic books. I mostly know him from Arkham. Uh, Yeah. Like, I I read some comics and shit, obviously. I'm on here. I've talked about it. I think he's got a good design. He pops up in Under the Red Hood, which I just can't recommend enough as a Batman movie. Uh, It's one of the animated ones from... God, that's like ten years ago now. I thought this trailer did much more to sell me on it than any of the previous trailers. Uh, I'm really excited because it seems like I have a better idea of what's actually going on. Yeah. There's actual talk about somewhat of a plot. Yeah, it it, it (laughs) sounds like multiple people who have been run up against Black Mask are teaming up to take him down. Uh, I think one of the birds is Renee Montoya as the question isn't she so is is it or it's montoya i don't know if she's going to that's be the, the question i hope they question her hey <laughs> uh but that's probably who i'm most excited for because it's rosie perez playing renee montoya um the the book 52 where did you ever read that no it was right after infinite crisis so the like 20 year anniversary crisis book mm-hmm. and It was a year without Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman. And right after Infinite Crisis, they bumped all the books a year forward, a year past in between. And then they told a weekly comic book that was 52 issues long that what was the year that happened while those three were all gone. Okay. Um, 
And then each issue just covered one week of that year. It was a really... I remember hearing about that. It was a really brave concept, and I'm curious if it works as well when you haven't, when you weren't picking it up every week, because I was actually still it collecting up <laughs> trades back, or not trades, uh, single issues back then. Uh, but one of the things is the original question dies of cancer after training Renee Montoya to be the new question. And Vic, I really, Vic Sage. That's right. Created by Steve Ditko. Cause that man created fucking everything. <laughs> I'm more excited. I'm excited that they have Rosie Perez playing the question. Cause I remember just seeing Rosie Perez appear in all sorts of TV and movies when I was young. Uh, she was a lot bigger early 90s, mid 90s. I don't recognize the name, but I'm also not good with names of people I know, let alone actors. Uh, you'd probably almost recognize her voice more from those earlier appearances. She almost always played the same version of an extremely loudmouth Latina. Oh, so. okay. So the type, at least. That, that could work for Montoya. Like, if they turn loudmouth into, like tough grizzled badass like it could translate really well i'll kill it i'm excited uh who else we saw there was um we know black canary's in there huntress huntress is in there and cassandra kane who was batgirl for a while was in there that might be really hard to do cassandra kane is usually portrayed as mute or almost mute in the comics she was trained by an assassin who never like taught her how to speak and just taught her, like, from when kill. she was a small child, how to fight. Yeah. So she's, her body mechanics are amazing. Her, she's the best fighter in the DC universe, like, as a fighter. But the rest of her is so, like, fucked up and unaware that it actually ends up working against her. Uh, mm. She was a really good bat girl. She had the kind of cool one with, like, the stitched up mask face okay. from, oh, like, the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. That was her. Yeah. Okay. I'm not very versed on my Batgirls. That's but. okay. Uh, this is one of the ones that's worth keeping track of. The others, yeah. I like Barbara. Uh, I liked her better as Oracle. <laughs> on the Batman band, it's probably worth mentioning that they did uh, announce all the Oscar nominations today. Oh. And it's kind of big news because Joker got a lot of fucking nods, which is good for the genre as a whole but that movie was i didn't even eh. think of him when i was going through favorite jokers i mean i still haven't seen it so i'm not surprised but that was joaquin phoenix right right um so joker ended up with 11 nominations wow yeah holy shit uh including best picture best actor for joaquin and best director for Todd Phillips, uh, and you know a, a few other things. I best I think like best screenplay and shit. But I mean, I always mm. thought that like even before this came out, this was going to be the exact kind of damaged white man movie that Oscar bait just cannot help themselves with. I have witnessed seen. I have seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm being judgy without having seen the movie. So bad me, but. Well, I have seen the movie. I wouldn't I wouldn't quite call it Oscar bait, but at the same time it has all the things that the Oscars also can't ignore, if that makes sense. Yeah. That being said, I really hope it loses most of its nominations. Uh I do think that Joaquin maybe should win for best actor. I haven't seen some of the act the 
the other performances that who else? are nominated. Who's... Well, it's like Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory, which I like Antonio well enough. I haven't seen Pain and Glory. I've never thought of him as a best actor type. I have a hard time imagining him giving a performance that should be nominated for best actor. His best performance was The ma- uh, the Mask of Zorro, and let's be honest, that is not a great movie. It is a, well, it's a perfect movie, but in a different way. Leo for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have went and seen that. Uh, I, I agree me. that he deserves the nod, but he's also another one that... He deserves the nod, but he shouldn't win this year. Hmm. If only because like, he was shown up... He was upstaged the entire movie by his supporting actor. Oh, yeah. That, that Brad makes Pitt. it hard to be best actor. Like, yeah. How are you supposed to be best actor when your best supporting actor upstages you the entire movie? And Brad Pitt blew the pants off Leo in that movie, so... Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Driver and Marriage Story. Haven't seen it. I've heard it is spectacular and that he should probably win. Cool. Uh, and Jonathan Price and The Two Popes. Also haven't seen it. I've heard the words The Two Popes, but I have no basis on this. I'm not... I don't go to the movies much. They're expensive. Uh, Two Popes, I actually only heard a synopsis of yesterday. It sounded more interesting than I would have given it credit for, but it's probably still not one that I'm going to go out. Yeah, fair enough. Legit, Joaquin might kind of deserve that win. He put on a hell of a performance in Joker, and it's about 50% of the reason why people are continuing to even talk about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. People eat the Joker up. I've never entirely understood it, but... Joaquin did something extremely hard in that movie, which was his laugh. Mm. I mean, I also just meant in general people eat the Joker up. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you're right. The laugh is really what sells it. Uh, it's why Mark Hamill is the best. Uh, as I said, uh, Futurama guy, whose name I'm blanking again, even though I usually know it. Uh, DiMaggio. Uh, John DiMaggio. John DiMaggio did a great one. And actually, Brent Spiner, Data from Star Trek, did a pretty good one in uh, in Young Justice. Oh, that was him? Yeah, that okay. was... I did not know that. I watch a lot of Star Trek, trust me. I <laughs> So, the interesting thing with Joaquin's laugh, as opposed to the others, is in the movie, his is the result of... Um, it's like a nervous tick or something. It's a nervous like tick brought on by uh, childhood trauma mm. uh, and abuse. And he sells the fact that there's only one time in that entire movie that the character actually intends to laugh. That is the most heartbreaking laugh when you watch it through that movie because it's not a laugh, it's a nervous tick. Ooh. And it is a mate like what Joaquin does with his eyes to be like crying at you while he's laughing out loud. The man can act. Incredible. I'll give him that. Yeah. Um, no, good for him. Joaquin Phoenix is supposed to be a great actor. It doesn't uh, deserve best picture. It doesn't deserve best director. It doesn't deserve best screenplay. <laughs> I'm looking at all these other things it's nominated for, and I'm like, I no. And nope, again, sorry. Well, I'm not a big Joker guy on any level. I'm glad that the movie exists because I am glad to see superheroes try other things. It's part of the reason why I love comics. They have so many different genres all in one shared universe with one shared theme. Uh, so trying, you know, doing superhero comedies, doing superhero dramas, doing superhero horrors, all of that is good. Right. This is, I mean, the fact it's getting so many nods is good for the genre as a whole. Mm-hmm. 
I just, uh, Joker was mediocre. Yeah, it, and it says we talked about it in the first episode, or episode zero, I suppose. I don't need to see and have every superhero movie be made for me. Right. It is, so many of them are already. It's okay if there's one, so I'm like, yeah, I'm not interested in it. Like, it's not, that's sometimes portrayed as like a betrayal, and no, it, it's it's not. It's just, just you, don't have, you don't have to like everything. Yeah. Uh, I'm... I'm personally all for everyone not having to like everything, because if everyone had to like everything, a lot of my most favorite movies would never have been made. Oh, and I am a judgy bitch, so I, I really can't throw stones on that front. I've made uh, fun of Venom three times already, and he's not even in the news. <laughs> uh, Scott Derrickson has left Doctor Strange. Really? He directed the first one, didn't he? He did. Oh, so that must be... Uh... Creative Differences. So the classic. So we Marvel. have no idea. Yeah, creative differences doesn't really mean anything. It, but in the Marvel world, it tends to mean Marvel was meddling too much, and they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, I don't blame them. The creative difference. The term creative differences is like the term natural at the grocery store. Yeah, it doesn't. We both work at a grocery store. Trust us, it doesn't mean anything. I I agree with you that I feel like this is Marvel meddling. Uh, I actually have some very specific thoughts on how it's meddling because I've been following this because this actually crosses over into my other podcast as well. Well, you can give some thoughts if you have some thoughts. Um, Scott Derrickson made his name in the world of horror mm. uh, with like Insidious, I believe was his. Uh, I actually have not watched Insidious. I haven't watched his horror movies, even though he made his world name in the world of horror. Well, and they were talking <clears throat> about wanting to make this one a lot more horror based i'm assuming so then they announced doctor strange and the multiverse of madness which the name alone is an obvious reference to at the uh mountains of madness hp lovecraft they've been hinting at the fact that it's probably going to be doctor strange versus nightmare the initial shit that they were saying about it was it's going to be uh marvel's first horror movie and then about a month ago they were suddenly saying Oh, no, 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 it's not a horror movie, but it's got horror elements in it. And then a week ago, we got the New Mutants trailer, and it seems like they're kind of just taking the horror away from it, and they're making it more fantastical again. And Scott Derrickson's kind of like, why am I here? Yeah, even though he did a great job with, like, fantastical mysticism in the first one, without having to throw too much horror element onto it. The movies where Marvel medals the most, that was a sentence right there. Uh... Yeah, man tend to be the weakest ones. Avengers 2 sucked because Marvel put too many things into it. And Marvel put stuff into it. So it doesn't fill me with a lot of joy. That said, the first Doctor Strange movie, I think, is on the weaker end of the Marvel movies. I enjoy Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. The look was very good. But the movie is largely forgettable. I still can't tell you who the villain was. And when you pick... The guy who played Hannibal to be your villain. Like, you should really Cacilius. give him... Okay. I just... I'm actually really impressed there. <laughs> um, but, like, Cassilius, Like, of all of the people you could pick, that is the, like, most forgettable of Doctor Strange's villains. Uh, and again, it wasn't bad. It was just, eh. So I don't have really strong opinions on this one either way. I'm not going in with a whole lot of expectations... Derrickson is remaining on as an executive producer, which once again, that doesn't necessarily mean much, 
that, that might just mean they either he paid did him, so much work that they have to owe him money or else they're going to be looking at problems. Or give him something to his credit in like exchange for making this sound like a much happier breakup as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, or possibly just that it was him being like, okay, this isn't working. I'm not making the movie you want to make, but I still like this. Which is kind of what John Favreau did who would not direct for them again after Iron Man 2, but has continued to executive produce and show up in their movies and do all sorts of stuff for Disney. And it could just be that he was the connections, too. Scorsese is executive producer on Joker because they needed his film crew to shoot in New York, basically. He was the hookup for his film crew, and being the hookup was enough to grant him producerial credit wow that's weird movie negotiations but even though the movie basically plays like two of his movies but has multiverse of madness declared a new director yet not yet okay oh and i do want to it's uh he did sinister not insidious uh uh derrickson Derrickson. yeah right and exorcism emily rose which i realized i have seen and it's a really good movie i've heard really good things about that again not a big horror guy so i'll be like oh that was great i didn't like it but that's not your fault. <laughs> uh, pretty much all the CW things have been renewed. That's just a kind of blanket. That does not surprise me in the slightest. They're ending Arrow. They are not messing with this baby yet. Yeah, we already know the things that are going away because they've announced it a while ago. Like mm-hmm. you said, like Arrow. So, whatever. It's all continuing. We're getting more Arrow in its place. Uh, we looked at the pictures. Yeah, they looked fine. Fine. Again, there's not much. It's too early to really, like, say anything. That's why I don't care too much when they're like, they've released stills. Oh, I was going to say it's the CW, so they don't hire anyone that's less than an eight, which is why they looked fine. But Oh, da-dish. also that, yeah. But <laughs> so I was saying, the, the woman that plays, I guess, Earth 2 Laurel. Not Earth 1 Laurel, because Earth 1 Laurel died. Mm-hmm. But still, the woman who plays Laurel in her... Incarnations. I mean, honestly, we don't... There's ways to bring people back from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> it could end up being Earth One Laurel. <laughs> she looks real good in that, like, short blonde hair look that was kind of the Black Canary look of the 90s, so bring it on. And I was impressed that I'm glad to see her still doing stuff because I did not like her as Laurel, but I love the Black Canary. So if they can, like, fix the annoying parts, I get way, uh, I'm way more on board. Yeah, they did not know what to do with Laurel for a long time on that show. People are scared of doing the Black Canary as the Black Canary because she doesn't have much of a backstory. In some versions, her mother was a superhero and she just took on the identity to go with it. In other versions, she's just kind of a badass that ended up with powers, basically mutant style, I think, and rides a motorcycle and makes out with Green Arrow. And honestly, that's all you need. Well, and ultimately it didn't help them trying to write a better canary with the fact that they weren't really using the Green Arrow so much as they were using Batman Light. Yeah. Oh, especially those early seasons were just the Nolan verse Batman, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, mm-hmm. but with the world of Arrow. And it only sort of worked. But, I mean, they got eight seasons out of it, and I'm kind of sad it's going, even though I haven't been following it lately. So, obviously, they did some things right. 
Uh, Andy Muschietti, who is the director currently attached to the long-in-progress Flash movie, has said that it's going to six directors. Has said it's going to be an alternate version of Flashpoint, whatever the fuck that means. Once again, I think this is going to be kind of a "I'll believe it when I see it" sort of thing. I think you'll agree. (laughs) Stop trying to remake Flashpoint. I know it's the only Flash story that we have like an iconic name for that like comic fans know other than the Flash of Two Worlds. But just tell a Flash story. Especially a here's an alternate universe because Barry fucked things up again is not a good intro. Flashpoint is the easiest way for them to fuck with time to fix some of their shit. But I kind of agree that they shouldn't keep trying to push it like this. Well, and like the the Flash TV series did Flashpoint too, and it was yeah, underwhelming. Really underwhelming. To be honest, I thought the Flashpoint comic was underwhelming. That was really where I was like, you know, I'm kind of done with these big crossover books for the most part. The Flashpoint comic, the big Flash stories, most emotional beat, isn't even the Flash. Yeah, it's Batman. It's Batman. Which shouldn't it at least be the Flash? They did bring that Tom or that Thomas Wayne Batman. Flashpoint Batman into the most recent Batman run written by Tom King, mm. where he like teams up with Bane and becomes the villain. It's supposed to just be balls to the wall insane. And having read Tom King stories before, I absolutely believe that. Lawrence Kasdan has hinted that production has started on a Willow sequel. Or the Willow sequel. Yeah, it's a TV series for Disney Plus, I want to say. Which cool i liked willow uh if you show the same love to it that they showed with they've been showing with like the mandalorian then that could be done very well and kazdan works well with lucas properties true very true to go along with production starts uh (laughs) they have started production on snake eyes gi joe origins oh boy (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, Snake Eyes is always the coolest part of G.I. Joe. Yeah, but uh, just any name that complicated is not a good idea. Look what happened to X-Men Origins Wolverine. Right. I just... If I'm going to have... If they had just said Snake Eyes, like, you know, Bumblebee or Logan, or I would have been like, cool. But if it sounds like someone's trying to make a scotch sound fancier... How much better of a name is simply Snake Eyes? You could do some gambling theme with it. He's got to break into a casino or whatever. Snake Eyes, yada, yada, yada. Ninjas and Casinos is like the Bond movie that we've never gotten, but kind of should. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, those movies aren't good. The first one isn't good and isn't very entertaining, but somehow I still ended up seeing the second one, which wasn't good at all, but was extremely entertaining. So It's okay, the people in the second one sounded confused about how they got there. I mean, they paid you millions of dollars. I have no sympathy for you being in a bad movie. But, Mm -hmm. like, ugh. And I think... They criminally misused Christopher Eccleston. And I was like, oh, right. I'm not huge in the G.I. Joe. I forgot about that. Oh, wow, we have Smith and Eccleston popping up in the news. Which is appropriate for our Doctor Who episode. That's right. I have one last thing. Okay. Uh, A lot of news this week. I know. I was so surprised. This is all from one week of shit happening. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Why did they all have to drop this week? I'm also super easily distracted today. So, anyways, last piece of news. 
Um, the next, they announced the next D&D book. Wildmount. Wildmount. I know, is it just how to ride stuff? No, it's uh, based off of um, the Critical Role oh. podcast campaign and shit. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh... So I'm super happy for like Matt Mercer and all those guys. I don't listen to Critical Role. I know a lot of people that listen to that shit like religiously. I so. listen to a bit of it. I have trouble listening to other people play D&D because it just makes me mad that I'm not playing D&D. Right. And like there's ones that are really funny. The Adventure Zone is just drop down funny, but I I have trouble listening to it. I read the comics. I actually have the Critical Role comic that was made that's been lent to me and it's been sitting next to my bed for 3 weeks while I read literally everything else. But like Critical Role is cool. It has brought another thing that I never thought would be this into the culture, into the wider D&D starting to blow up. And awesome. I still want to do a D&D podcast episode someday of something. Absolutely. We will. I just don't know how yet. That's going to be a hard one. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for bringing this out, sweet. I have never actually played 5th edition. I I have all the 3.5 books, so I'm not really willing to buy again because I have quite a few books. So I've got a bunch of game systems I've never been able to play already. Mm-hmm. Um, and largely because I mostly use the Fantasy Flight Genesis system. It's just a very specific system. They do the uh, current Star Wars books right now, too. And I I like the dice system better than anything else. So that's the one that I stick with. Mm-hmm. I haven't played in a while. Yeah. I used to play with all my old roommates, but they all moved out. So Teakle well, doesn't roll dice very well. No. Teakle has many skills, but it's not that. Uh, what I like about the Genesis system is it's... You roll the dice and you have, like, positives and negatives. So, like, you might not succeed in what you're attempting to do... But you can still die for cover or something mm. like that. Or it, it, it's just a very narrative-based dice system. And that's good for me as someone who's not a super numbers guy. I uh, I mostly I wanted to bring it up because I know a lot of people that are super into Critical Role. Oh, and yeah. That's a, I mean, a new D&D book dropping is always kind of a big deal anyway. So and just because you get more official things to add into your campaigns and play with. so I like it. Uh, not that home brewing isn't fun, but sometimes it involves a lot of thinking, and it's sometimes nice not to be able to have to do that thinking. Mm-hmm. That's it for the news, though. That's about all I got. Alright, so before we get into Doctor Who, I remembered this time. Yeah. Zach, what have you been ingesting? What have I been ingesting? Um, I got a couple of things. Uh, the biggest one is I have started the Gormenghast trilogy. It is a name... It is by a man named Marvin Peaks, which is just a great fantasy writer name. That uh, is a really good fantasy writer. But he it he's a contemporary of Tolkien. He came the books came out around the same time and it the first book in the series Titus Grown came out in 1946. Also sorry, it's Mervin Peak, not Marvin Peaks. It's even better. Mer- is that with a Y? Mervyn, M-E-R-V-Y-N. Oh, that's so good. Peak, P-E-A-K-E or C-K-E. I don't remember. And it is... I picked it up because the reviews I were reading was saying that it was actually thought of as better writing than Tolkien was, but it didn't end up having the same staying power as Tolkien. Okay. Partly because he never finished the story he intended. He died while writing one of the novels. But it is about a castle called Gormenghast, which is a great name. 
that is so steeped in like tradition that it has just lost all semblance of like sanity and reason. Uh, and it is just mind-bendingly uncomfortable as a book. It's like nothing even exciting has happened yet. I'm about three chapters in, but it's kind of like, have you ever drank too much cough syrup on accident and got like cough syrup high? Yeah, a little robo tripping. Yeah, and like the really kind of like blurry horror, background horror that is robo tripping. Mm -hmm. It's like that as a fantasy novel. Okay. Um, oh, that's it's, weird. I can do a chapter or two at a time, and then I'm like, well, that's enough of that. I'm going to listen to some Terry Pratchett for a while, and, uh, but I'm also really enjoying it. So, like, okay. that, that is not a negative thing. It's just, I was expecting something a little more Lord of the Rings or Terry Pratchett, because those are the things that kind of brought me to awareness of Gormenghost, mm -hmm. and it does not read like that at all. I've... I'd heard the name, because it's hard to forget, we were mentioning earlier, like, Gormenghost. Yeah, Gormenghost. Apparently Stephen Fry was in an adaption of it. That was weird. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I might have to give it a shot at some point. But it, now I'm glad to know more about it, other than just the very memorable name. It's on Audible. It It's about a family that I believe it's slowly driven insane by one of their people. I don't know. No one is that sane at the beginning of the book. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, I got another one, but I'm blanking it, so hit me. What do you have? Uh, mine's really easy. There have been a lot of video games lately that have been dropping that I really want to play, but I was still sitting on games that I had to get through. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I might have mentioned I finally finished the Assassin's Creed Odyssey DLC, but then the big thing I was doing this week is because I finally finished that, uh, I'm moving into finally finishing Red Dead Redemption 2 so that I can get back to The Witcher 3 so that I can get to The Outer Worlds so that I can get to Fallen Order. God, you play video games like I read comic books. Um, <laughs> I don't make as much time for gaming as I used to or like in earlier years of my life. It's just hard. You just have shit to do. Yeah, it's true. And then I also just wasn't gaming a lot for a while. There was probably a good year, year and a half where I was like only reading instead or like mm -hmm. only listening to music that sort of thing so uh, it's fun getting back into it but now like i said a pile has sort of built up and i'm having to just power through shit luckily it's all shit i enjoy because yeah. i don't buy games i don't fucking enjoy so uh i'm loving red dead redemption it's really hard for me not to just get sucked into like going and hunting everything though I love the hunting in that game. Well, and especially... And like, the crafting from the hunting and shit. It's interesting. I never cared for cowboy stuff growing up, especially as, like, the nerd from Montana, where mm -hmm. kind of... Anyone outside of Montana kind of expected us to be the cowboy guys. But the older I get, the more that I'm like, well, this is wildly inaccurate, but I enjoy these Wild West Western stories. I... Something about being a cowboy is something like being a pirate. Like, it's just... It's the... The fantastical versions of it that were presented with in media are so much fun. Yeah, if you ignore the, like, racism and murder and violence of the reality, then the fantasy is just fucking great. Yeah, it's, it's such a good setting. The storytelling's amazing. I'm getting... I'm immediately getting sucked right back in. It was a really hard to put the game down Saturday night, but I had, you know, shit mm -hmm. to do for the rest of the weekend, like, do things for the podcast, so... Um, I don't know. That's that's been mostly it. I foresee that will be a lot of what's to come 
uh, for the next month as well. But I'm gonna try to fit in other shit. Like like we got Crisis finishing next week. So. Yeah, I, I kind of like that we do this part because it makes me actually like think about what I'm reading and not just read the same thing again and again and again and again. Uh, last one is I started the One Piece manga because I enjoyed the Naruto manga, and I really hated it. Really? I, um, it is, I'm only, like, I've only finished, like, the first chapter. Okay. So it could change on me, but it is not for me, I think. Uh, the, there's an unevenness to the art that I just found really distracting, and it was kind of the goofier parts of anime that don't really connect to me. But it's also, I believe, the longest running manga of all time at this point. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is, it's been going for Oh, I guess decades it... at this point now. Uh, so, again, good for them. I don't have to like all things for things to be legit. I don't get it at all, though. I I, <laughs> I understand the feeling. Since I was just on the gaming rant, like that was me in World of Warcraft. Mm. I played just enough of it to understand why so many people like it, but I realized very quickly that it wasn't for me. Old Republic's the only MMO I ever really got into, and I am such a Star Wars fan. That's not true. I played a bunch of Star Trek Online for a little while, but the space flights were great, but anytime there was a land mission, I was just like, oh, guess I'm done playing for a while again. Uh, it was mostly Guild Wars and Warhammer Online for me. Hmm. I wanted to play Warhammer Online, but I didn't have a computer at the time that could handle it. And MMOs are just difficult, because you got to stay really up to date with them. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's it for that. Yeah. Let's, uh... Speaking of stuff that some people really like and a lot of people don't, but that's okay. Not everyone has to like everything. Not everyone is as cool as us. It is time for some Doctor Who. So, if you somehow don't know what Doctor Who is, which at this point, it's been going again for 15 years, so I don't know what to tell you. But, uh... Right, you've... People had to have heard of it by now, right? Yeah, I would hope it would come up. Uh, Doctor Who is a show about an alien from the planet Gallifrey, who is a time traveler who travels in this TARDIS, which stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space. It looks like a police box. The original series uh, ran from 1963 to 1989, and then the most recent series has run since 2005. That, I think, is what we're going to focus on a little bit more today. No disrespect to the old Who, but I feel like one of the reasons people don't get into Doctor Who is because it seems so intimidating yeah. thanks to the old Who existing. And especially if you try to watch some of that, you're like, oh, okay, because it's three decades worth of, three wildly different decades when it comes to sci-fi too, uh, but three decades worth of low-budget British science fiction, and you do not know what to expect with any given episode other than... It probably looks really bad, and it's probably a lot of fun, but it's so tacky. Uh, New Who gave, I think, all the casuals a great place to jump in. Yeah. Like me. It's that's where, where I, I got into in. it. Like, I had seen episodes before, but I... Because uh, I knew what a big deal Doctor Who was, but I, I didn't start watching it until the Christopher Eccleston stories. I will say, just on my favorite, like, how big is Doctor Who? In, in Britain, there isn't really a comparison for doctor who with like modern media on how big it is uh to the point that in the 90s i think it was the police tried to trademark the police box because it's a police box 
the BBC challenged that, or it's possible BBC tried to trademark it and the police challenged, challenged it. it. One of the two, Neo challenged, and the BBC won because the police box is more closely associated with Doctor Who than, than the, the police. police. <laughs> the police box. That's amazing. Yeah. But we decided that it would might be interesting to talk about Doctor Who instead of just a freewheeling in a talking about a specific episode and then kind of using that as a base to get distracted from. Well, and here's almost the really funny part. The name of the episode is The Pilot, uh, the one that we're going to talk about. Uh, the Pilot's usually the first episode of a series. That's that's literally the term for it, yeah. Uh, and this was actually part of the reason we picked this one. In just If you haven't watched Doctor Who and you're interested or whatever, this is a really good one to go in on. And that's the weird thing. This is what season 10? This is season 10. Episode uh, 1 of the new Who, so that's actually... It's over 50 years at that point. It is also the third season to feature this Doctor, so to feel like such a fresh start was really unexpected. This is my favorite season of Doctor Who, probably out of all of them, at least at this point. That changes every couple of years. Mm -hmm. I really loved Peter Capaldi as his later Doctor, because he was just a giant dick at first. And that was fun, too. But it was really nice to see he's not a giant dick, because in the early ones he was like, I don't care. I keep hurting people by caring, so I'm just not going to care. And by this one he's like, fine, I care, but I'm pissed about it. And I'm still the smartest man in the room. Deal. Grumpy old man doctor, but who is willing to show his emotions, is my favorite doctor. Yeah. Uh, uh, Christopher Eccleston did it to a lesser extent. He's grumpy, but he cares. And he's grumpy about the fact that he cares. I... I... I do want to focus on this episode. I do want to focus on New Who, but given that this is the first time that we have talked uh, specifically about Doctor Who, what is it about the show that keeps you coming back? Partly just you can get so much out of it. You can do a period piece, and it's BBC, so they do great period pieces. You can do science fiction. It is a show that is very comfortable making you feel emotions, which sci-fi is not always the best at. They'll have big ideas or big action or... It, it very rarely kind of taps into the, the more human side that the Doctor does. And with Doctor Who, you generally get one of three. You get a really good plot, really good emotions, or really good special effects. You very rarely manage all three at once. But the fact that it can do all three is fun. That's so true. But it's... <laughs> Look, when Doctor Who gets bad, it gets really bad. And there is a kind of joy in watching that it gets campy tackiness. Her. Wait, is that the one with the devil? No, Fear Her is the little girl at the Olympics. The Scribble Demon. That's exactly the one I was thinking of. It is awful. And it did not cover childhood abuse well. Like, it just... Uh, that episode is... Yes, that episode is bad. Uh, season 2, somewhere towards the end. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, because it was David Tennant. Um, real quick, can you name all of the Doctors? Just... All of the Doctors? No, I know I can't. Okay, can you name... I know that I would screw at least one of them up. Can you name the modern Doctors? Echo. <laughs> Are we going to count John Hurt? No, only because he never had his own like season. He only appeared in the one episode, which is awesome. The 50th anniversary special was a lot of fun. 
Um, all right. Uh, in that case, I also won't bring up the 10 minutes that uh, Paul McGann. McGann popped back in. <laughs> Uh, which, however, oh my god, he was so good in that 10 minutes. Paul McGann is really interesting. Sorry, guys. Paul, uh, Paul McGann was basically the doctor in between the two shows. Because it ended with Sylvester... The original series ended with Sylvester McCoy's The Seventh Doctor. And then in the mid-90s, Fox made a TV movie that was a backdoor pilot to being a American 90s Doctor Who TV show. Oh, Eric and Roberts then, as the master. And then they didn't air, like, half of it when it was supposed to premiere because the football game went late. So, like, it was it was not a good movie anyways, but it was a train wreck. But because of this, Paul McGann became the current Doctor. And in Britain, radio plays are huge. Like, you know what a radio play is because, it's, you know, we all remember, like, old-timey radio stuff. But they're ongoing and they're huge. And he played the Doctor now longer than anyone else and in more stories than anyone else while only ever having a movie and a mini-episode of actual TV where he appears as the Doctor. Uh, so New Who is going to be uh, Eccleston, Tennant, Smith, uh, Capaldi, and I know her name. Her first name is Jody. Jody. I feel really bad about this. It's Jodie Whittaker. It's okay. You haven't watched any of. I've watched two episodes of her. Um, I debated jumping in with her, but she's kind of a hot topic right now, and I don't really want to dive too much into the sexism that's happened because they chose a female doctor. I've also seen interesting headlines about her latest couple episodes, but. Spyfall Part One and Two were both really good. I've heard that the most recent one had great message, but not the best delivery. So again, Doctor Who. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just I, I explained last episode. I'm waiting for my girlfriend to get caught up to jump into hers. So. Oh yeah. So who are the companions of the pilot? Where we're at? Uh, the well. I mean, the pilot's one of these episodes where we gain a companion, which is great. It's always a really good way to give a show a fresh start. Uh, technically, I guess you could say Nardle's already there as a companion. Yeah, he had been in two episodes before this. He first appeared as, like, a minion of River Song, and then he came back at a Christmas special as, like, he was a robot, and the Doctor had realized that the Doctor cannot be alone. That was a big message of the Moffat period, that it's not safe for the Doctor to travel alone because the Doctor needs someone to tell him no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he made Nardle specifically to exist to be like, you're not allowed to be alone. You're not allowed to be a dick. You're not allowed to be alone. Well, I think uh, one of the reasons I end up liking this episode and Bill and Nardle and their relationship to the Doctor is because it's very clearly what a lot of the other uh, companion relationships are. Sometimes those are get murkier, especially in the, the Tennant and Smith runs, mm-hmm. where the companions were... Uh, slightly romantic interests? Yeah, especially in the, like, Russell T. Davies era of Rose and Martha were so heavily romantic types-ish. <laughs> Mostly, Rose, was, Rose, Rose was, was openly in love with him, and Martha was too. The Doctor was just... Too doctory to get fully pulled into it. Yeah, and I see a lot of shit to the Doctor for that one, and it did suck for Martha, but it was something that I found extremely relatable. Of Martha was in love with the Doctor. The Doctor didn't notice because he was too hurt from losing Rose and just he just didn't pick it up at the time. I have been that person on both sides of the equation. I have been utterly in love with someone 
who was extremely nice to me and just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I found out later that someone was utterly in love with me, and I was just like, oh, hey, how's it going there, pal? Like, uh... Yeah, it's it was a very relatable circumstance, but I... But I'm Martha never back... got a fair shake because of it, which mm-hmm. is good for a storyline, but it's kind of disappointing that probably the most prominent companion of color that they had had, possibly still have ever had. They've, they've got a couple, had a couple more since then, but it was just Martha and the doctor back then, like got kind of screwed over by a blonde girl. <laughs> it wasn't um, Rose's fault either, but. But as you pointed out, uh, he needs Nardle. He, well, the doctor needs somebody in this specific case, Nardle to tell him no. Mm-hmm. When the doctor only has someone to tell him no, that's also bad. Yeah, you need that balance. And I like that they had the two characters to play the balance. The Nardle was basically his employee, which we don't see with the doctor much, but it was someone that the doctor could, like, kind of pull rank on in pull a rank more on and argue realistic with. way. And, like, <laughs> they would take snipes at each other. And, like, it, it wasn't so much like. You're the best person I've ever met. You're so amazing. It's someone being like, you're being a dick right now and you need to stop it. Like, uh, and just someone that the doctor could have tech conversations with as opposed to like having to explain everything to everyone. Bill and Nardole remind me of a better version of Amy and Rory. Yeah, a little bit because there wasn't as much emotional tie-in. I don't know if I would go with better, but like, Similar and maybe a little more healthy as a traveling unit. Healthier version of Amy and Roy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be a little bit better way of putting it. A healthier version. Uh, so, I guess with this episode, we should probably at least go over quickly what this episode's about and what happens. Alright, we first start, and this was such a great intro. I'm sorry, I'm going to just gush about this episode. No, that's fine. Time. As we go through the episode, well, we can hit this. Uh, the... We, we enter with new companion Bill, we will talk about Bill in just a sec, is taken into this office where it finds out that the doctor has been teaching at this university, and they drop that the doctor's been teaching there for 50 years. Maybe 70. For a long time. <laughs> and have good jokes about the doctor looking old, because he keeps expecting people not to believe it, and they're like, no, nah, it looks pretty believable there, bud. Because <laughs> um, I think he's actually older than the first doctor was when the first doctor quit. I believe it. And the first doctor quit because he went senile. Uh, Hartnell? Hartnell. But, not the point. Bill... Maybe I could name... No, I'm not going to try. Bill impresses... We'll add the end of it just because we're curious. Bill impresses the doctor. The doctor starts tutoring her because she's too poor to actually go to this university. Weird stuff happens. Before we dive into that, we talked about Nardole a little bit, who's working as the doctor's, like, assistant... Let's talk about, not Rose, let's talk about Bill a little bit. Okay. Bill's awesome. Bill's amazing. Bill is one of the first black companions that they've had. At this point, they'd had Mickey and Martha. And she is one of the first openly queer characters. Because Jack Harkness was Jack Harkness. Right. But she is openly lesbian. And there's never like a, I'm a lesbian moment. But it's made very clear she's got a romantic interest in this episode. Who I thought was super obnoxious, but would have been super into when I was Bill's age. So like, it it works. And it was nice to see. Because you still, it's so rare to just see, this character's a lesbian. Let's not make a big deal about it. Let's not hide from it either, though. Well, I was going to say, I think the 
the big difference between Bill and Jack that you brought up is that Bill is portrayed normally. Jack still falls mostly into a writing cliche of... Uh, I guess technically he'd be more like pansexual. Horny sleep with everybody. But yeah, he's sleeping with everybody because he can. I will like that in Torchwood, they gave him a... I think at one point he was in a consensual polyamorous relationship and it wasn't treated as a bad thing, Mm. which is so rare to see. Jack was way sillier in his earlier appearance just because it's um, that actor who I really like and he played Merlin and he was... Jack Barrowman. Yeah. Uh, John Barrowman. John Barrowman. Thank you. God, I love John Barrowman. Um, John Barrowman is such a ham of an actor in the first place that it was really easy to play that. But, I don't know. Doctor Who has been always pretty positively gay since Russell T. Davies launched the new series because he is very gay. (laughs) He is loudly gay and it's awesome. I love to see that. More representation. But this was probably the most, like normal straightforward that we've ever seen a gay relationship treated in doctor who yeah just perfectly normalized rather than yeah as we said jack was a ham yeah and it worked for jack but um works for that character not as big of a step forward for representation not not a step but no absolutely i'll give you that bill is also fun because from the very beginning she's got an ability to start talking and then realize that the story's not really in any way related to what she's doing. She has this great line of like, she tells this completely unrelated story to the doctor's question. He's like, well, what does that mean? And she's like, I don't know. I was kind of hoping it would lead to something and it just didn't. Well, I, on a meta level, I loved that because I've watched a lot of Doctor Who, or mm-hmm. at least knew Who. And her story is the way that the doctor executes his plans most of the time. Yeah. Started with something, hope it leads to something else. We'll find out on the way. Uh, And then she just asks a lot of questions and a lot of really smart questions, which is just crack for the doctor. Young girl that's kind of stuck in life that the doctor can, like, help become the best version of themselves. That's what he lives for, son. And not treated romantically at all, which was, again, very nice. She does have a little bit of a meet-cute with the girl in her class. Yep. Which is where the real story of this episode picks off. Or at least the moving forward action part of the story. (laughs) The girl is classic, like, 18, 19-year-old. Frustrated about life and just hates everything, but doesn't know why. But the, like, sparkly-bubbly personality just immediately falls for her as i said watching it watching it a little more critically today i found her really obnoxious but i would have as i said just been all about that as a college kid 100 (laughs) percent. i will agree that with that the thing i noticed while watching critically that i about fucking slapped myself for uh that i wish so as a bit of a spoiler this episode has kind of a bittersweet ending yeah uh, it was a bit foreshadowed during that meet cute with the fact that the song playing behind them as they meet in the club face to face is Love Will Tear Us Apart. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I had never paid attention to what song that was. That's, that's good. It, it's interesting to watch Doctor Who now because I've been watching this show since I was 16. 
Mm-hmm. Just always. And so it is the the characters and the things that I would have been real devoted to. Like, I thought Rose was the coolest. And I watched some episodes with her recently. And I'm like, oh, I see what people say when they say she's annoying. Like, I still like her, but... I still love Rose. But watching as an adult versus watching as a 16-year-old, like, the decisions make a lot less sense. And I'm like, oh, shit, am I getting old? <laughs> Bill is just the cutest form of desperate for this chick. Yeah. She is she is just thirsty for this girl. Is so desperate but so adorable in her. And that's why we're saying it was so nice with the representation because it's it it is just such a cutesy little love story and the fact that they didn't have to add this big I'm gay moment and just did this cutesy little love story that was so integral to the plot too. It wasn't the B story. Her crush on this girl is absolutely integral to everything that goes on in this. Well, because she ends up following the girl to the to the puddle. The puddle, which look you look at it and you're like, this looks weird. What is it? And the girl it looks like, like me, but it's not right. And the girl with the like one glowing eye, manic pixie dream girl disappears a couple of times. Although the second time, it turns out that she died. The girl with the star in her eye. Yeah, I mean it's. It's everything that I would have loved back then. So even if I'm kind of scoffing at it now, I can still appreciate it as a different stage of life. And as as that situation gets weirder, of course, Bill starts going to the doctor about it. And you get other fun little moments, like their little Christmas and shit. Or was that a birthday? It was. They had a Christmas, and he, she gave him stuff because they had the like crackers mm-hmm. and stuff. And you find out that Bill is an orphan with like no pictures of her mom and the doctor like sneaks back in time and takes pictures of her mom, which is really creepy if you think about it at all, but it's also a really like sweet gesture. I feel so fucking dumb. This is probably the fourth time I've seen this episode. I never noticed the first three times, even though they specifically <laughs> show have a, a picture shot. of him. Yeah, show a picture of him in the mirror. I didn't put it together the first three times I watched this episode that the, that, the, the doctor, doctor went did back it. in time. Yeah, uh, I was it, just like, "Oh, that's that's nice that she found some." Like right after this that, is a nice moment. Okay, and then when I realized the doctor, did, <laughs> it took me so long to realize the doctor did it. But then as soon as I realized it, like I was so fucking touched by that because I was like, "Oh, that's so doctor." Yeah, and that's what I mean. Of he cares. He just doesn't necessarily like that he cares. And and with the meta awareness of the fact that I know he really shouldn't be zipping around at any point. Yeah, at this point. it's made and, very clear throughout this. The doctor is not traveling. The doctor is guarding this vault. Uh, Nardole knows what's in the vault. Bill doesn't. You don't. And they don't tell you for, like, half the season. Uh, we get the little fun where they're down inspecting the vault, and Bill almost stumbles in on them, but they set it to friends only. Yeah, the the alarm system was set to friends only allowed in, and since the doctor had befriended her, it fucking... Uh, the, again, was I clever. I like that. It was um, clever. This really did feel like a nice mix of like classic Who and the Russell T Davies era of Who and like the Stephen Moffat era of Who, uh, the two different showrunners, uh, who both had their weaknesses and both had their strong points. So it was nice to see bits that I liked of both of them that had kind of been lost. One of the things Doctor Who does really well that helps keep me coming back is using horror elements. And in ways that you would not see literally anywhere else. The shower thing is done better. I do a horror pod, horror movie podcast. 
the way that they did her walking into the house with a shower running, finding out that no one else is supposed to be there, and then it was the liquid girl. Yeah, uh, the, is done... the girl she had a crush on died, and then like starts appearing as this like water monster. It's done better than similar things are done in 95% of ghost horror movies I've seen. When Moffat gets his creepy on right, it's perfect. And he I know he didn't direct this episode, and I don't remember who did, but that guy also had a really great sense of it. Doctor Who's just also really weirdly good at making water creepy. Uh, they did it in the Waters of Mars episode mm-hmm. 2, where there's these people with like really cracked skin, and every time they talk, water's just pouring out of their mouth, and it is just so uncomfortable. As they start to run from Liquid Girl... But the pilot. Mm -hmm. There's one of my favorite really quick Doctor moments of the episode. And it's when they get into the TARDIS and he simply says, you're safe in here and you always will be. Yes. The the, the TARDIS entrance scene is always really well done. Uh, It's a very important moment. Um, And I think this was one of one of my favorite of them. I think it was, my other one is a David Tennant one. And I don't remember who said, uh, but it's the, it's bigger on the inside moment. Mm-hmm. And David Tennant like mouths it along with her. And it's like, I never noticed. <laughs> but this one was so good because she just. Is there, it a knock she, through? She couldn't figure out what was going on. Like they always catch on so fast. And with her on this one, I mean, she's being chased by a creepy water monster that looks like her crush she's her weird companion who, and her quote, runs like a penguin with his ass on fire, which is so funny. (laughs) Brings her into this box and suddenly it's a bigger room and it's moving and like, she doesn't catch on immediately and they played with it, but it was... Well, when they got there, Nardle just killed me. Hey, we got there. And (laughs) the doctor shake hands. hands. Yeah. Uh, I do like that you brought up that it's always a big moment. The... The companion first going into the TARDIS. Um, because it reminds me of my own experience with Doctor Who. The mm. guy that got me into Doctor Who, like, he... Hey, Jesse. I know you're listening. <laughs> like, I remember him being so excited for that moment when I get... Every time when we were watching through the first time on New Who, and he was watching along with me going through my first time, uh, every time the, the companion got up to... A new companion got inside the TARDIS, he was always waiting for my reaction. It is a wondrous moment. And Doctor Who said wonder so well. And I didn't get that at first until I got through a couple companions. And then you started looking forward to it yourself. And I started looking forward to it myself. And I'm like, oh, this, I get it now. Like, this is part of the magic of this show is that this moment happens and it's always a little bit different, but it's always a little bit the same. It's comfortable, but you can always bring in fresh eyes because you can regenerate the doctor. You can bring in new companions. Uh, They can leave when they get bored as opposed to, you know, running for 15 seasons of the same person. And by the end, they're just phoning it in. As they're, as they're zipping around space and time. Yeah. First she's like, Oh my God, it doesn't just travel to university. It, it, it travels. And then he takes her to Australia and she has a panic attack. Like, again, Bill is allowed to, like, feel more realistic responses to these than I think a lot of other characters were. Because they're usually just like, well, this is cool. She's just like, what the hell? Uh, And you also get Awkward Doctor trying to help, but recognizing that he's really bad at it. Which is another fun 
And and this one is like a, a very much more emotional awareness. Instead of being confused that they're freaking out, he's just like, oh, okay, well, how so- do I help? I don't really understand here. I'm just going to walk over here. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer questions for you. Let me know what you need. Hey, we're in Australia. And then, is it right after that that they go... Do they, they, they go way forward in time. Like and then 25 find out, million years in the future on the other side of the universe. And the pilot follows them there within minutes. Uh, has a nice little moment of Nardole and the Doctor talking. Where Nardole calls out the Doctor and you can be very silly. Which again is nice to see because Capaldi had not been silly so much in his early seasons. I remember so much in his first couple episodes if you didn't even know if he was a good guy or bad guy. That was like the theme of Cabaldi's first, is he a good guy or bad guy? And then like at the end he's Which like... I loved, by the way. Oh, yeah. And his quote at the end of that season was like, I'm not a good guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm just a man with a box. <laughs> wandering around, helping out. And I'm like, okay, you're super a good guy. But like, he's he doesn't need to be a hero. He's just someone who's out to help. And you got to have a little more of that airiness in this. Uh, then they go to the Dalek ship. Was that supposed to be during the Time War? That was... I had to look this up because I was like, white-haired people? I've seen this somewhere. It's an old-school Doctor Who episode. Oh, okay. It's from, like, the Tom Baker era. So, 70s. Gotcha. And the idea was it was this race of androids that were so good at war that the they had ended up in a virtual stalemate. Neither side could make a move because the others, like they were too scared of the other side's retaliation. And Mutually assured destruction. The Daleks, well, Davros in specific, I think it's the second time you ever see Davros, uh, the creator of the Daleks, brings them in, or brings in the Doctor, basically, because he's like, I know that you'll break the stalemate one way or the other. Like, I'm fucking bored with this. Daleks... Scariest trash cans in the universe. I love old. I know I said we weren't going to do old school who, but they were allowed no to quote bug eyed monsters mm. in the early ends. stuff. And so they did the first episode of like cavemen and stuff like that. And they're like, oh God, what are we going to do for the second episode? And they're at lunch and this dude starts just like playing with the salt and pepper shakers. And he's like, what if we did these? <laughs> and like the producer's like, that's cheating. Like. I told you no, and then obviously it freaking worked. The Daleks have had their own not-related-to-the-Doctor comic book strips. Like, ongoing, in the papers, apparently, in Britain. The first time you see the inside of a Dalek, they literally just put a guy under the stage, put his hand in a glove and covered it in black goo, and he just did, like, shook his fingers a little bit, like... And it eventually got rebuilt as that kind of, like, starfish octopus look with the eyeball. Kind of crangy. Yeah, oh god, I, now that you say that, I'll never unsee that. Uh, very crang. Daleks are one of those things, now that I have also gotten someone into Doctor Who myself, one of the fun things about Daleks is watching people become scared of them. Yeah, because the like, first what? time like, you ever see a Dalek, it's a fucking joke. <laughs> Jodie Whittaker didn't have Daleks for the first season, didn't have any of the... Old school villains, which mm-hmm. I thought was, I mentioned last week, actually, I thought was really clever. But for their holiday special, they had the Dalek appear. And when you finally see them, you're just like, oh, fuck, it's, it's go time. Especially when a new doctor sees them and you get to see their new way of like. Dealing with Daleks. Dealing with PTSD, to be honest with you here. Uh, That's, yeah. Oof. Um, turns out. 
the pilot does not give a fuck about the Daleks. Which, that was interesting. The pilot was always portrayed as one of those things that was so... Especially when they appear later on in the season two. They're they're almost above what the Time Lords are, even. I was say, like, the pilot reminds me of some of the things we ran up against more often in like, the Tenant run. Yeah. Uh, like on Midnight, you never know what that was. The Beast in the Pit. What it makes me think of, actually, is, like, Q from Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, not as directly mischievous, mm-hmm. but th- they have ascended so far as a species that they're not even, like... Time Lords are amazing compared to us, but they're still on the same basic plane of reality. Or, like, just starting to leave it. These guys have... They're above and beyond. And I kind of got that from the pilot. And it, it, it had just lost all kind of understanding of how people worked. Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. However, also seemed very basic at its core. Yeah. Well, oh, so I want to get to this because so the the pilot doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. But we only find that out because then a Dalek appears that doesn't immediately kill them. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "That's not a Dalek." See how it's not shooting me? Oh, look at the <laughs> eye. It's the girl with the star in her eye. Yeah, and, it turns and then back like, water and... starts coming out. And again, they use water extremely effectively to be creepy. Uh, there is something... Moffat is so good at finding something that you can't escape and making it creepy. Uh, he did it with statues. He did it with shadows. Uh, and here he's done it with water. She ends up inviting Bill out on a date. Basically, that date being the universe. But you kind of have to die and become not human. Yeah. Doc convinces her to not do that. Very nice little moment there. It, it, it was just, it was sweet. I don't have a lot, a lot to say about that moment, but... And, well, and so the end of the episode, I had a big revelation for this episode. And I mentioned before that, like, the the pilot seemed basic, but... Doctor is very subtly in this episode. They threw in one of the other little things. The doctor's not all bright and he's kind of jealous and hypocritical. Oh, yeah. Because he absolutely is dead set against her going off and becoming a companion to this lonely god of a pilot and and zipping across the universe to... to offer her. Yeah. To join this lonely god that needs companionship (laughs) (laughs) as he zips across space and time. Uh, But I mean, before that, like, they go back to his office, which it was kind of nice to have that Earth-based location where they could hang out together so it's not just, like, the doctor awkwardly at her apartment. Mm -hmm. And at first he's going to, like, erase her memory because no one can know that he's there. He's in hiding. He's protecting something. You're like, oh, what could it be? And they still don't tell you what it is. Uh, I love what it is. Yeah. And she convinces him to let her keep the memories. Basically being like, do you know how much it would suck to have this happen to you? And he realizes, because he lost all his memories of Clara. And even though he made the choice, it still like kind of haunts him that there's this part of his life that he just can't see. Mm -hmm. And he lets her go with it. And it was nice because there's always kind of some consent issues with just like erasing someone's memory when you're done with whatever is happening that has bothered me in sci-fi mm-hmm. men in black all over the place 
Next Gen does it a couple of times to protect the Prime Directive. Uh, it's a common sci-fi trope, and it's not the worst trope, but it is... Especially in Torchwood, it became real uncomfortable because they literally roofie you and you wake up with, like, no memories the next day. Like, they slip you uphill. It is... Ooh, that's uncomfortable. Yes, but Torchwood also, like, leaned into making these people morally gray and a little uncomfortable, even if you ended up siding with them. And then he's like, I, I, you know, I can't travel anymore, and the TARDIS is making the TARDIS noises, because Dr. Talks to TARDIS is always awesome. And I like that he looks at the two pictures on his desk. And do you know who those two people are? Like, one, I'm sure you do. It was, um, oh god, it was River. River Song, yep. I, was, I almost said Dr. Elizabeth Corday, but <laughs> <laughs> It was almost the Black Canary's mother. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking funny. Who was also Harry Dresden's wife, because Harry Dresden played Black Canary's dad. Mm -hmm. Not the episode to talk about this, but I love that lineup. so great. Uh, I'm a huge ER fan, so she's never not going to be Elizabeth (laughs) Corday to me. Um, Uh, Okay, one is River Song, which is his wife. and The other was... Oh, I'm trying to... Was it Sarah? Susan. Oh, Susan. Who is his... Uh, granddaughter. granddaughter, yes. Who was his first adventure until he left her on a Dalek-ruled hellscape of Earth because she had a crush on a boy. Do not explain Doctor Who subjects in real life because that's a great scene. Like, she's fallen for this guy and it, you have to accept I fell in love with you in the space of like 48 hours that sci-fi just lives for. Right. And he's like, wow, I can't let her just continue to dote on me. And gives, like, locks her out of the TARDIS because he knows that she'd never, like, willingly abandon him and leaves on Earth. And you see here one other time in the fifth, in the five doctors, like the big anniversary special, but she's never mentioned again. Like, oh, left my granddaughter on this post apocalyptic Earth. Hope she's alive. <laughs> But it, it is nice, because it's the only actual family you ever see of the Doctor. Potentially. Fair enough. There was the one lady in the end of the Tenant run mm-hmm. that they never... Ex- She's listed in the credits as the Doctor's mother. And that bothers me, because we've never seen the Doctor's mother before. We've never heard the Doctor's mother mentioned before. It never comes up in the episode. But you could have literally just had that be Susan... And it almost works better. And it would have worked better because it would have been like this history that already exists. We don't have to like wonder a mystery box. Yeah. Uh, I have opinions on that, obviously. But good episode still. So I know we both really like Capaldi. Mm -hmm. We thought that even though it's late in the new Who run, this is a potentially good jumping off point if someone were to want to get into Doctor Who. Yeah, if you don't want to deal with 10 seasons, starting with this one or starting with the Jody one is really the way to go. I'm not sure how much thought you put into it. I wrote down some notes myself, but I proposed when we were first talking about this episode, a thought experiment to you. Okay. Of how do you think this episode would play out underneath the other Doctors from New Who? You have to kind of separate that into two categories of the overarching story that we get the basics of and this like specific right. water I... monster. Because I was the thing I was thinking of is multiple of the previous doctors of New Who could not have stayed for 50 years in one place and pulled it off. That's true. Not even just like the fact that they don't 
seem to age, but just Matt Smith would have lasted a week if we're being really optimistic. The only reason he lasted for like whatever it was in that one place was because there was like no one else there, basically. Yeah. Anytime he's disappeared, he's been like the wild, crazy man that like people are like, oh, okay, we got to look after him. Like, uh, I, I or... mean, Smith, I basically completely rewrote this episode in my little bit of notes because this episode doesn't hardly work for him at all. <laughs> Tenet would have gotten wanderlust too quickly and left. He was still running too much from the time war. Oddly, or also he probably would have like er hidden his memory in the stupid fog watch again or something like that. Like, oh yeah, Tennant would have had too much time to mope. And again, I love David Tennant as the Doctor. He's so good. But anytime he stopped moving, he started moping, and that was not good for him. So like he he couldn't have stopped like this. Eccleston, maybe. So here's. Do you want to hear? My, I got some yeah. breakdowns here. So Eccleston, I said his version of this episode. First, this whole f this goes for both Eccleston and Tennant. If anyone dies in the episode, they're taking it way harder than Capaldi did. Yes, uh, they might have let Tennant might have let the Doctor the like I'll let this go because I have to. I could have seen Tennant saying that line. Yes, Eccleston would be way more broken up. Eccleston would have been like, "You have killed," and then. And pissed about it. It was nice to see that, like, not another... Only one person died in this episode. That is such a small death count for Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. But the punishment, if something else had gone wrong with those two, would have been draconian. I said, in... What, what reads to me as an Eccleston version of this episode would be... There'd be less of the water bit of it. And mm -hmm. more on, like, the mimicry. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> And he would all he would figure out that it's mimicry and the water monster when it badly mimicked Jackie Tyler. However, at that point, Mickey would have already been mimicked for half the episode, and no one would have noticed. <sighs> Poor Mickey. Eccleston was so mean to him too. Like Tennant got way nicer. I mean, he's still kind of you're a third wheel, go away, but. Eccleston was just rude to him the whole time. I think in a tenant version of this episode, once again, he'd be more broken up if anyone ended up dying, mm -hmm. depending on how that ended up playing out. But I would say with his part of the trick of beating it, or at least getting it to go away in the end, would have been in a tenant episode. It seems like there would have been something special about the fact that it was both inherently water and an alien. Yeah, and again, I think the... And then they would have tried to do something sciencey with the water bit, but then Techno babbled around it to the point that it actually wouldn't have mattered that much. Yeah, uh, and again, I think the, the end result would have been much more violent. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it probably would have, like, this thing would have been iced in, like, deep, deep space. PTSD doctor, both PTSD doctors, got real violent. I'm not going to keep bringing that up, but that's just... Ten well, yeah, Tennant has some of the darkest shit. Like, he's remembered for being way happier than Eccleston. Eccleston's remembered for being, like, the tough doctor. But Tennant has fucking, what is it, family of blood? Yeah, he, like, traps a girl in all mirrors for eternity. Uh, the kids someone else is the heart of a star, like, the corner of your eye. It's fucking dark. Yeah. 
Eccleston just had a very like, you're gonna die, whatever. Mm-hmm. You were a bad guy. I'm not going to save you, but not like actively wrecking their day. <laughs> Tenet would shut your ass down if you disappointed him. And I mean, in his from his very first appearance, he was like, no second chances. And he was wrong multiple times because of that. But it was still, he he was such an early 2000s doctor is really what it is. Like he was perfect for the era of kind of emo shit going down in the world. Right. Um, then I said the Matt Smith version, <laughs> the Matt Smith version of this episode would be that that puddle, what puddle, the puddle of water is actually the fountain of youth. <laughs> Psych. It's actually a alien parasite acting as a conduit where the people drinking from it are sucking the life from someone else. Yeah. But he ends up having to use it to save Bill's life. In the end, the twist is the person they were sucking the life from stuck down in the puddle was Clara. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, God, you're just going to tie it to the impossible girl? Oh, uh, that was the... <laughs> Smith kind of ended with a whimper because no one could tell Stephen Moffat no, and like he just went so far off the rails. Although the 50th anniversary special was amazing. Oh so. my god, it's so good. <laughs> uh, the John Hurt Doctor, who I said we weren't really going to talk about because he didn't have his own like season, but did appear in New Who, so what the hell, would have just burned everything to the ground and blown yeah. up the ship. Yeah, he wouldn't give a shit. <laughs> the War Doctor's Sonic Screwdriver is the one that I have out in the front row. Uh, I used to have Elevens. I think I've lost it. I really liked... Capaldi only had it for the last season uh, before they rebuilt it again. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a much more basic screwdriver than like Elevens. And then the top was blue and kind of rectangular. And it kind of looked like a little TARDIS on the top of it. And I loved that screwdriver. Did you notice that on Capaldi's desk... All the screwdrivers. He had, yeah, like six different sonic screwdrivers, and he tosses one of the ones from Old Who to Nardol to use. Which is another thing, you don't often see the Doctor loaning out the sonic screwdriver. Like, that's a sign of respect after usually like half a season. Yeah, at least not so flippantly, yeah. And in this one, he's just like, whatever, Nardol, like, (laughs) take it. So as much as they, like snipe at each other and stuff there is a very obvious respect between the two of those um and now i haven't watched enough whitaker to to mention it but how do you think a whitaker version of this episode would play out you know an interesting thing about whitaker is a lot of times she doesn't do anything and like makes it work by making sure that other things don't happen like they do a rosa parks episode and i was really nervous because a lot of times it's the doctor shows up and like goads the people into getting the confidence to do their famous moment in history. Mm -hmm. And a blonde white woman giving Rosa Parks the confidence or making it so Rosa Parks can do the thing is so dangerous. But what what it is, is it's just another time traveler has come back in time because he's a racist. And it's just openly that he's a racist to stop Rosa Parks from her very famous bus ride. And all the Doctor does that episode is counter that other time traveler. So everything Rosa does is still because she's Rosa Parks. It's not because the Doctor made it possible. The Doctor just kept someone else from screwing it up. Uh, So I kind of want to say that, like, 
I, I wonder if she would do anything because a lot of times it ends up being like, she just the, minimized the destruction and let Bill make the same decision she made at the end of the episode. Yeah, anyway. I think like she would have trusted Bill a lot. She's very close with her companions very quickly, which is good to see. Wow, that's interesting. God, I would have watched. I like. I really like the Jodie Whittaker doc with uh, Ryan Yaz, and I can't think of the older guy's name. Ryan's grandfather. Uh, doesn't matter. There, I really like all of them, but I fucking loved Capaldi, Bill, and Nardle, and I wanted like six more seasons of them. I loved them. I loved one other pairing from Capaldi even more. What's that? I want 20 seasons of uh, Capaldi and Missy. Yeah. <laughs> Missy, Evil Master, just... Or not Evil Master, but possibly Redeemed Master? They played off each other so well. Michelle I think it, Gomez is astounding in that role. Oh, she fucking owns it. I think it would have gotten old fast to have both of them every episode. But the fact that they were using her as much as they were, like she was appearing a couple times a season, worked really well. It, it was good to see someone that could keep the Doctor on his toes as the Doctor's equal, really. Uh, and I, that's, I think that's one of the, the neat things with their relationship is that Missy was always able to come in as an equal, which is hard to do because Capaldi, even more than the other New Who doctors, is good at establishing that he's the smartest person in the room right the from the get-go. Like, they use that term, but Capaldi was the one that really seemed to kind of own the, like, lonely god aspect of the doctor. And he's very proactive in letting you know that he's already the <laughs> smartest person in the room. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that Missy's as smart as him. And it was interesting because Missy got such a good character arc. In the first season she appears in, she is directly the villain. She is mad and villainous in a way that the Master is really good at. In the second season, they really leaned a lot more on the fact that her and the Doctor were friends. Even if they were almost always on opposite sides of things. Like, she was much more neutral in the second season and more about being the Doctor's friend than anyone else. And then in this one, spoiler for the rest of the season, it turns out that the Doctor is, like, protecting Missy and trying to teach her to be a good person. And she kind of succeeds. Yeah. She mostly succeeds. Way more so than you would guess. Uh, and seeing the Doctor and the Master as allies, you kind of... We, we've never really gotten to see that before. We knew they were old friends. We've seen respect on them. This is the first time we ever saw them really, like, team up at places. Not much. But a bit. And when she finally... I mean, not a bit. You know what I mean. When yeah. she finally makes the decision to appear and, like, be a good guy, she's murdered by a younger version of herself because Doctor Who. Cause, because Doctor Who. Yeah. People <laughs> <laughs> are like, what's the plot of this show? I'm like... They travel through time and space and weird things happen. I'm like, what more specifically? I'm like, just don't. Just watch the show. Enjoy a hero yeah. that doesn't use a weapon. Have He's... you ever... I mean, I'm sure you have. I've never... I don't know if I've ever tried. I don't know if I could. Explaining the events of The Impossible Astronaut out loud. Oh, God. that That's Smith's second season, right? The... The shooting... 
okay, we're going to give this a shot real fast, and it's going to go badly. <laughs> it's going to... Uh, the people important to the Doctor's life get invitations in TARDIS Blue to meet in America at a very specific time. The Doctor pops up, has lunch with them, an astronaut appears, kills that Doctor while they're freaking out because the Doctor died. They... Like, the Doctor wanders up, and it's like an earlier version from the Doctor's timeline. So I'm losing track here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Stephen Moffat went off the rails and needs people to tell him no, because he, he gets too clever for his own good, and you lose track. Was it the Impossible Astronaut? Was that actually the name of the episode? I was kind of yes, guessing, but it's also the Impossible I'm Girl and... I think it's the Impossible Astronaut. Either way, the season before was better. There's a lot of impossibleness in Matt Smith's There's a lot of impossible in the Doctor. That's uh, true. That season had some really great episodes, but it, like, arguably the best episode of Matt Smith's run is the one Neil Gaiman wrote where the Doctor becomes a person. Oh, and it's from God. that season, I think. Oh, that might be my favorite episode of all time. Uh, the Doctor's Wife. Yeah, Neil Gaiman writes an amazing story that sounds like a bad fan fiction. Like, the Doctor's beloved vehicle comes to life and is a beautiful but weird-looking woman who kisses him. Like, that's straight-up fan fiction right there. But he makes it beautiful and amazing instead, because he's Neil fucking Gaiman. Um, oh, and she gets in the human body and remarks that it's so much bigger on the inside. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. Doctor Who is kind of like explaining... I'm almost crying. Like, <laughs> e explaining Doctor Who is kind of like explaining Crisis on Infinite Earths. It doesn't work. That's not why we're watching. Actually, I stand corrected. There is one episode that is better of the Matt Smith run than that one. The Vincent Van Gogh episode. That one's more tear-inducing. Uh, I mean, I was an art major. I considered taking art history as a minor. So, I, I seeing Vincent Van Gogh was... Amazing. I'm way off from the Capaldi episode at this point. It's we are just ping-ponging across Doctor Who timeline like the Doctor through time and space. I think that just means we're going to have to talk about more Doctor in the future. Yes. Um, and now There's we've... no way to not. Right, there's no way to not to. And now we've laid down at least some basics. Yeah, this was only sort of a like review episode. It's a good episode. Watch it. It's a great one to jump in on. But really, we just wanted to focus ourselves a bit while we gushed about Doctor Who. And decently soon, we'll get to some old who. Oh, yeah. I've, I've got it narrowed down to two episodes, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, I have a suggestion, but... Just, we'll talk about it. Yeah. I guess time for our last part of the day. Uh, what recommendations do you have? Do you have anything... Or do you have... First, do you have anything else to say about Doctor Who? I'm sorry. I, I have just... nothing else really to say about Doctor Who other than I'm excited that there's still so much to talk about, even though we rambled across... 50 different smaller Doctor Who topics in this episode. <laughs> We're not the most focused podcast out there, but damn, we care. Care. I was going to say try, but no, we do not try to stay focused at all. Uh, but yeah, okay. Any recommendations? I have a really weird recommendation, Please. but I feel like... Um, I was talking about Gormenghost. Like, bring on the weird. It's a, it's a crossover recommendation in a weird way. Because it it's weird that this brings it up, but... 
we once covered over on Fried Squirms a little uh, movie called Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. And my big takeaway from that movie is that it is a terrible Halloween movie. It doesn't have Michael Myers in it. It's not a slasher movie. It's a really good episode of Doctor Who. (laughs) It's got a weird kind of... In the end, like, Supernatural is... The Supernatural is powering the stuff, but the the actual plot and the twist to it is a lot more in common with sci-fi. It's a lot more in common with something I would see in a Doctor Who episode. I love when... uh... Something that's unrelated works better in a different genre or different franchise. Like, uh, I, in high school, wrote a joke paper about how the movie 10,000 BC was actually a prequel to Stargate SG-1. (laughs) (laughs) It Uh, works really well. But, okay, so Halloween 3. But yeah, as I was sitting here thinking about The Doctor this week and what I was going to say, I couldn't help but think back to the fact that one of, like, it's a... Not a good Halloween movie. It's a pretty good Doctor Who episode. Okay, so uh, recommendation with caveat. Watch Halloween 3. Be aware it's a bad movie. Watch it as a Doctor Who thing. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. It's so bad it's good. Okay. just It's one of those, too. Yeah. Um, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I got three recommendations. I'll generally keep them pretty short. Uh, first is Doctor Who Scratchman. It is a book slash audiobook. Written by Tom Baker, who was the fourth Doctor. And if you get the audiobook, narrated by Tom Baker. And you should absolutely, if you're going to read this, listen to Tom Baker read it to you. He's having the time of his life. It's based off uh, a planned movie that him and one of his first companions wrote that never happened because it's expensive as hell. Okay. The Doctor literally goes to hell. Oh, shit. The first half is like evil scarecrows and then it's hell and being on like a giant ping pong table and it's the doctor and sarah jane smith and harry sullivan and it was one of the best set of companions uh and it was one of those that you could tell that the actors really cared about each other too and i love the doctor with three companions because it keeps it a little more or not three companions a three-person doctor team Mm, mm -hmm. keeps it so balanced graham that's the name of the companion i forgot about from earlier Ryan Yaz Graham. Not important to this. It was going to bug me. Uh, Just because so bad it's good, I'm going to recommend Bubba Hotep, which is Bruce Campbell plays old man Elvis and teams up with possibly insane guy, possibly President John F. Kennedy, who has been hidden as a black man to fight the mummy in an old folks home. I'm not going to tell you more. If that doesn't sell you on it, you will not enjoy this movie. And... Once again, to tie into Fried Squirms, you are going to be coming Mm. on Fried Squirms in the future to talk about that. Yeah. We're not sure when in the future yet, but we've talked about it happening and it's going to happen. That movie was actually decent too, which I was not expecting. I was expecting an utter train wreck and I was like, I'm really enjoying this. But final one, probably the most important one is, and it's one that we've never done before, is I'm going to recommend a board game. Okay. Uh, It's called Dinosaur Park. It is Totes Not Jurassic Park. The board game. Uh, I mean, down to the point that, like, one of the people on the cover, you're like, that's clearly Professor Hammond. (laughs) But it's not, and it's amazing. And it's literally, you just make your own dinosaur park and compete 
with the others, and whoever has, like, the best dinosaur park at the end wins. Okay. And, like, you have to up your security, or people will eat your dinosaurs. Or your dinosaurs will eat your people. <laughs> Possibly both. I don't know. They're small herbivores that you can get. Uh, oh, um, I could see people just chomping on fried compsognathus like my, this chicken. My buddy won the game because you get excitement points for bigger dinosaurs, but they're more dangerous. And he bought so many T-Rexes that they were just eating people left and right. But he got so many excitement, so much excitement and like people coming in because, oh my God, T-Rexes, that it was more valuable to him to just have shitty security that kept getting like Jurassic Parked and make the money from that than it was to like have a safe park. So you can play really fast and loose and dangerous or you can play like a really safe, non-aggressive dinosaurs, but still kind of cool. It is a nightmare to explain the rules the first round to someone who's never played because there's like 15 steps. And we played like the simplified version with like <laughs> a lot of the excess stuff not used. We, we plan to. But after that first round, the, the first round takes like half an hour to explain. And you're just like, oh my god, this sucks. And then second round, you're like, oh, this is actually pretty like straightforward. So play the game. Your first game is going to be slow as hell and you're only going to start to get it but then after that it becomes pretty intuitive just nice. just trust <laughs> um i mean i love me some jurassic parks so. i got cc the game and the expansion pack that includes water animals or water dinosaurs i call them just because it drives her up a wall because <laughs> marine life was not dinosaurs they were just right. big and scaly and scary Mosasaurs are not dinosaurs. I know that, honey. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, oh, all those water dinos. Water dinosaurs. I called one a murdered dinosaur whale, and she's like, only one word of that was correct. <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, yeah, that's my recommendations. Uh, I guess I'll say this cheesy line. Another recommendation is you should give us a review. That would be great. You should subscribe to our page. Uh you should do absolutely both of those things. You should follow us on social media. You should shoot us a mail. Like, let us know what you think. You can check out all of that and get to links and our entire back archive and stuff by hitting up generalnerdcast.com. Um, also, real quick, it's on my Facebook, or our Facebook right now. I'm also going to put it on, like, Twitter and maybe Instagram. There is a link to a thing... Or to a thing we're making for a future project that Tyler and I are working on that we won't go into yet. But it is just, we need weird nerd questions. Yes. And we need a ton of them. It can be, how do Cyclops' blast, like, eye blasts work? It can be, who would win in a fight? Hulk versus Hulk Hogan. I don't know. Uh, it can be... What is the deal with this storyline that I've heard about before? Now, are we talking Lou Ferrigno Hulk or Ed Norton Hulk? Uh, we're going to go with the Eric Bana Hulk. Okay. Uh, it, it can be, does Palpatine fuck? Like, it can be, ask me funny questions, weird questions, all sorts of questions. Uh, it does lead up to a project that we're working on that we will be talking about soon but not quite yet not yet but the more questions we have the better it's gonna be agreed that's all i have uh yeah general and nerdcast subscribe rate review watch we our, love you watch our other uh earworm stuff we have we're part of earworm yeah we love it uh listen to fried squirms uh the other podcast i'm on the art of wargaming will be coming over to earworm within the next couple of weeks 
listen to that. Even if they weren't us, they're still good. You should listen to it. Uh, I guess uh, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Dismissed. Dismissed.